Saturday morning. I'm about to hit the gym. We've just had our first snowfall here in Moncton, so I get to wait for my car to warm up and the snow to melt off the windshield. I'll probably end up scraping anyway as much as I'd love to sit in the nice car and, and let the heater do its thing. Leg day. What else to say? Well, uh, let's start out with a little realization I had the other day. And it's not a sort of a new realization, but, you know, sometimes this happens where you re-realize things about yourself that aren't necessarily flattering. And in my case, what I realized is that I'm sort of perpetually in a state of feeling like I'm in competition with people. And I kind of understand where that can have benefits. But a lot of times I also see the negative side of that. So, of course, I'm glad that I'm driven. I'm constantly driven to improve myself in various areas. But I'm also sort of in a perpetual state of telling myself that I'm not good enough. And, again, this isn't a comfortable admission, but it it extends to the point where, you know, when I, I see other people, specifically people I care about, my girlfriend and that, admiring other people's accomplishments, that makes me feel uh, like in competition with that person and inadequate in some ways, and uh, it's it's something that's that I've been struggling with for years and I think it's something that's kind of an ongoing challenge to work on and again, like I said, I, I, I even understand why it's there sort of from an evolutionary position because, you know, the whole idea of survival comes from being able to outmatch your competition in some ways. So it is definitely useful in some ways, and, and I'm glad that it helps provide me ambition and drive to be better but it also sucks sometimes when you're sitting there feeling inadequate when you're perfectly fine you know uh, it's it's it can get to a point of being unhealthy and leads leading to depression and things like that so Um, I guess I don't have anything profound to say about it except that I'm 
it, it was a realization. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not at this moment in time. I'm doing quite well. Uh, there was I did have a past of of having problems with jealousy and that again it's not comfortable to admit but it's it's something that I was constantly working on but these feelings of not being good enough still pop up from time to time and it's difficult when they do and and they come up in very sneaky ways they they don't much like many things in life they don't seem to announce themselves they come up just sort of as feelings right and the feelings are sometimes hard to interpret. It might be worth noting that a... Oh, it was quite a while ago. I was noticing a problem specifically I was having. And it was, it was more presenting itself as jealousy. I wound up founding a really helpful tool. It's a book called, oh my goodness, what is it called here? I'll see if I can find it actually. Because I got it, I got the audio book. Um, it's called The Jealousy Cure, I think. Um, library, let's see what books I have in here. Uh, yeah, The Jealousy Cure by uh, Robert Leahy. Leahy, something like that. Anyway, it's a fantastic book and it puts things into perspective. And even what I'm talking about now, he he had tools talking about that. Where basically you think about the sort of rules you're giving yourself. So, for example, if you're not if you're feeling inadequate because you're comparing yourself to one thing I compare myself to is singers sometimes because I, I studied vocal theory. I wanted to be a singer for a while. Um, (laughs) not necessarily my strongest suit, but you know, I, I enjoyed singing even though I wasn't necessarily overly great at it. But even still, like I say, I find myself comparing myself to other singers sometimes and you know and one thing he points out is that we have these set of internal rules that we set for ourselves that if we break them down and realize them they're not fair rules that we're giving to ourselves we're we're holding ourselves up to an impossible kind of standard um there's a lot actually that that book is amazing it's got it's got one thing that became one of my favorite kind of uh, internal tools called, I think he called it the boredom technique, where what you do is you take an internal message. So so in the case of jealousy, some one thing that tends to come up is, say, if, if you're finding yourself jealous about your partner's past lovers or or say i don't know you you are jealous because they find other people to be attractive or whatever whatever it happens to be this internal messaging then you sort of 
you, you try to figure out what it is you're telling yourself about that. So it might be that you're telling yourself she's attracted to other people or I'm not attractive enough or whatever the message happens to be. And it's going to be, I'll, I'll tell you right now, it's going to be a very uncomfortable message. So, but you figure out what this is and you face it, right? You face it and then you say it to yourself. Now, I can't remember if he says to say it out loud. I think, I think he does, if I remember right. But you say it and then you say it again and you say it again and you say it something like 25 times. And what you notice is that the sentence begins to lose its power you stop the first time you say it and when you realize what it is this message is it's very difficult as I said but then as you repeat it and you get used to the message it stops affecting you in the same way and then and then you know what tends to happen is when this message sneaks up on you and and comes into your mind you're it doesn't strike you with that kind of force anymore. It kind of comes and goes and, and you're like, you know, you can shrug it off, I guess. So that particular tool I found to be quite good. I'm not sure what got me to talking to this today uh, because like I said, I'm not even really feeling these things specifically, but I know that I know that it is a big thing and I feel that feelings of inadequacy are the are one of the underlying problems for bigger problems I think they're one thing that can manifest themselves in destructive ways because they cause us to feel angry, bitter. We we feel vengeful sometimes. You know, you want to lash out and then you start attacking people, whether it's strangers online, you know, on, on social media or whatever, or loved ones. Certainly, they don't allow us to progress when we're stuck in that place of, of feeling miserable about ourselves it's very hard to translate that into being productive without conscious effort it's funny because normally after working out as I am now, just finished my workout. It was pretty good. There was a couple weirdos in the gym, but that's always the case. There was this <laughs> one kid that was, uh, I don't know what he was doing. He was hopping around like a spider monkey. It was really weird. And uh, yeah, I don't know if it was some Kung Fu thing he saw in a video, but he looked like a bit of a lunatic. Okay.
Okay, what is... So... The, uh... I, this, this video came up in my feed. I was, uh... I was actually listening to some songs during... I did some post-workout uh, cardio, and I was listening to some Metallica and stuff. Um... And there was this suggestion on my feed, which was kind of odd. And it was this clip from a rap concert. Someone named uh, YG or something. Who, in front of his... his it probably wasn't his fan base, because I, I have a hard time believing this guy's famous enough to headline a show. But... Uh, it seemed to be a big crowd from what I could tell. And he had this kid come up and he demanded that he uh, say, fuck Trump. Well, and and not only that, he said, in front of your mother and your father and your, your family and that, I want you to declare fuck Trump. Weird thing to do in the middle of a concert. Weird on many levels because, for one thing, I mean, I don't understand why artists would want to become political Certainly not in this kind of political climate we've got right now where everybody seems so polarized. Like, why why would you want to do that? Like, just stay out of it. I mean, who cares? If they enjoy your music, isn't that what's important? Let let them buy your music. But no, no, you, you want to disrupt your fan base and destroy your fan base because your views are so much more moral than someone else's viewpoints. It's extremely arrogant. It's extremely foolish, but whatever. That's what I take from this guy anyway because he is arrogant and foolish because he demanded that this kid, you know, denounce Trump and say fuck Trump and the kid said, "No, I'm not going to do that." And good on him. I mean, I don't care what you tell me to do. I would hope that I have the balls that this kid had and say, you know what, I'm not going to say something, even if I don't like Trump. I'm not going to stand up here and say it because you tell me to. Of course, it's a lot easier if it's something you actually believe. But if it's not, to tell you to, to go against your values just because you're being pressured because by, by a huge mob of people and... The thing is, normally I come out of the gym and I'm quite encouraged and I'm inspired. And after have, having seen this, I have to say I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit disheartened because because of the state of the world, because of the state of how I, I guess I guess when I saw this, it in a way kind of. kind of made me think about the ways that I experience it in my life and certainly it hasn't been to that extent thank goodness but I've definitely been in positions where people give me a hard time because they don't like what I believe I even like and it's been my whole life I suppose when I was a kid I got uh attacked by a gang of thugs because they didn't like the fact that I went to church on Sundays. Like, seriously. Um, 
it's it's hard. I mentioned this in a previous episode about no, trying to know when to stand and when to sit. When to stand for your values and when to sit and rethink them, right? It's hard to know. But the thing is, when you're being attacked by a mob, specifically a mob claiming to be virtuous in their attack, then you're not in this position of standing or sitting usually. Well, I mean, you're, you would more likely default to standing and fighting. But upon reflection, it tends to, it can leave you beaten down. It can leave you disheartened. It can leave you angry, angry and bitter. It's not very productive. So it's interesting because I was thinking of what I was thinking about earlier about feeling confident, you know, trying to feel confident as opposed to feeling inadequate or, or uh, um, insecure, I guess. I think it's important partly because sometimes we're we feel like we're our only ally and we have to believe in ourselves so that we can uphold important values. Anyway, I think I'm going to leave it there for now. Uh, So I'm just going to conclude this episode with a couple little things I wanted to talk about, and I'll see if I can tie them into the whole idea. Uh, The Well, I'll I'll try to outline them first. The first is something that uh, was kind of a story about a friend of mine that kind of moved me in a weird way. Uh, the second was a an idea I had. I was in the shower when I had this idea, which you probably don't need to know, but uh, that happens quite a bit. And uh, the other one was, it was something that came up in my personal life that I think tied in with the whole idea of trying to know when to stand and when to sit. So how to how to do those? Well, okay. Let's start off with the last one I just mentioned. So, as I was saying, one of the greatest challenges is trying to know when we should stand and when we should sit. When we should stand up for our values and when we should sit down. And part of that, I think, comes with knowing oneself and trying to understand why certain values are important to you and why certain beliefs are important to you, asking yourself tough questions, trying to... And and this actually sort of came up in my life because... Uh, okay, well, how much do I want to divulge here? Well, I'll just talk and see see what happens. So, the... 
I've been feeling a bit of a spiritual void in my life. And to a lot of people, this will sound silly, you know. Um, And in fact, to my girlfriend, I think it sounded maybe not silly, but somewhat foreign to her uh, because I don't think she's ever, as far as I know, had... spirituality hasn't really played a role in her life, certainly not in her adult life. And even in in her uh, childhood, the idea of church and things like that, it was was kind of obligatory. It's like, this is what you do, and it's a doll, and you're told what you should believe and all that. And in her case, when she tried to question things, she got batted down. So obviously, and, and... for good reason, she has a little bit of bad feelings towards that kind of thing. Because it never presented itself to her in that way, in a way that was meaningful. And I totally appreciate that. It Matters were made worse in her marriage because at one point in the marriage, the I think her husband felt similar to what I'm feeling, where he felt the need to um, reconnect with his spirituality. And this took a massive toll on their relationship because at the same time, she was really beginning to question her beliefs And while doing so, and while talking to, you know, asking him questions about this, again, she was getting batted down. So it created a great divide between them. Certainly there were other things at play, but that that went wrong in their relationship, but this was a pretty huge one. So when she and I first got together... She made a point of saying that her atheism is quite important to her. Now, this was a concept that was quite foreign to me because I'd never really met anyone who was so devoted to the idea of atheism. And and it's been a difficult one even to this day for me to wrap my mind around how do you militaristically believe the absence of something that can't really be materialistically proven one way or the other. I I just, I suppose it, and actually a, uh, there was a book that helped me understand this. It was called The Devil's Delusion. Uh, What was the author's name? Again, I'll I'll look it up here. Um, uh, Because it was uh, David Berlinski. So he, um, he's, I think what you might call agnostic. He's, he doesn't necessarily believe there is a God, but he also thinks it's very foolish for people to say there definitely isn't a God and claim that in the name of science. He thinks it's, first of all, arrogant and, and second of all, wrong and an insult to the idea of science because you're not proving anything you're you're 
just making claims that aren't actually scientifically validated and saying it in the name of science. So in one sense, this book quite helped me to understand what was going on, but it also, you know, I guess added to my confusion a little bit. But I think in the end, the my main understanding of, like she and I obviously got over this little hump and because she realized that I am not somebody to push my beliefs on anyone for one thing. And I'm also somebody who also asks questions and I'm pretty uh, devoted to asking questions. I am, I think blind faith in anything is foolish. That includes atheism. I think if you just take things on faith without testing them or, or asking about it. Um, that is a recipe for unhappiness and um, blindness and potentially uh, extremely bad consequences. I mean, we, we see it with you know, religious terrorists and that kind of thing all the time when, when people take things on blind faith and, and don't question anything. I think that's extremely dangerous. Um, so because of that, I ask questions too. And I encourage questions. And I like questions. And I like thinking about questions and posing hypotheses. And I think she respected that. I think she respects that I don't just shut down questions. I encourage them. And when she has questions, I let her know my thoughts on what might be the answers to those. But oftentimes the, the answer will be, well, this is what I think, but I, I, mean, I can't be sure. But this is what I suspect, and this is why I've come to believe what I've come to believe. And I think she respects that, and we've, we've come to quite a good... Um, respectful um, acceptance of, of what one another believes. So all this, this is, that was just backstory, I guess. This past week, I was really thinking that I need to attend a church service and put a little bit more effort and focus onto my spiritual progression because I feel a little bit uh, stagnant, a little bit. You might have heard of the water, uh, uh, the water, that the expression that be either hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And that's kind of a little bit how I feel. I feel like I'm being lukewarm if I'm not being actively pursuing my spirituality. Now, I mentioned this to her, and it was a difficult conversation. I, again, because this is going to be out in the open, I don't want to get too much into the intimate details, but suffice it to say, it was a challenging conversation because she was put in a really weird position. She was put in the position where she loves me extremely 
uh, dearly. And she did not, she was fearful that what happens if it goes the same way her past relationship did. And, but at the same time, she doesn't want to be the, the person to say, well, I don't want you to do this. She wants to be supportive of me. And, and she is extremely supportive of me in all of my endeavors. And see, I didn't really see this coming. I, I knew it would be a difficult conversation, but until I actually, maybe if I was smarter, I could have foreseen her feeling that way, but I didn't foresee it until we had the con and I didn't realize what a position she'd be in until we had the conversation. So again, this was a situation where I had to decide, well, what do I do here? Do I stand up? Do I hold to my guns? Well, this is important to me and I'll just make it work because obviously I wouldn't do it, do anything to spite her. I mean, I, I love her incredibly, but do I do it and just because she, she said full out, well, if you feel you need to, then I'm not going to stand in your way. And, and she asked me many times, so are you going to do this? Are you going to go? And I guess it was a moment of realization where I had to ask myself why why was this so important to me and what i the conclusion i came to is going to sound again potentially naive but you seek spiritual fulfillment to feel fulfilled Fulfilled in a different kind of way. And anybody who's had that experience knows that it's extremely powerful. And it's meaningful. It, it brings meaning to your life. And not only does it bring meaning to your life, it brings hope for the life to come. However... She brings meaning to my life. And trying to think of pursuing a pursuing a heaven or a afterlife of happiness that wouldn't include her. Uh, it breaks my heart. So, I made the decision to put my focus on her and just just put my other things to the side for the moment. And I do that knowingly and I do that happily.
You know, the other things I was going to talk about, I was going to talk about my friend Dylan. I was going to talk about the fact that I've, I, I had the idea to start, it's not a new idea, but start logging everything I eat and, and I invested in a notebook to carry with me all the time and help with my adherence and suddenly those things don't feel quite as important to talk about today. I think my takeaway from this is to it is the value of being grateful for what's right here in front of us and hold on tightly to those things that make us happy. And maybe that's how we can know what's worth standing up for. Well, I'll leave it at that for today. And I'll be back as soon as I have something uh, useful to, to add to this podcast.